All right, everybody. Welcome to episode 12 of the Ionosphere. Uh, if you don't know me by now, you should. We have Alan Steele, Harmonic Tension. Um, I'm Thud on Twitter, and uh, I don't know, mostly what I do is random random things that, that pique my interest on, on the Twitter sphere. So um, uh, it's just sort of a smorgasbord of different, different things. All right. Nice. Yeah. We have Mimetic Value. And I am... Q and I am Mimetic Value on Twitter. All right. And last but not least, we have a first time on the podcast. Hey, Zach. hey guys. Uh, I'm Zach on Twitter. I'm Zach Zakari Jaworski. And uh, yeah, an adventurer just going out and literally just trying as many different things out in life as possible. I so I could tell my friends about it. So that's what I'm, you know, that's what I'm doing here. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, so today we have an interesting topic that uh, Q's going to bring up for us that is based around a Play-Doh yeah. Q, do you want to tell so, us what that is? I guess a few days ago, I was watching this uh, interview of Faraz Zahabi, who's the, uh, I guess, the main trainer at TriStar Gym, which is the MMA gym that trains Gold uh, from Play-Doh, which basically says before age 30, you shouldn't even study philosophy at all. And, and you should instead build a base in wrestling because the physicals, you need to have that physical foundation before you get into philosophy. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting concept. I mean, uh, my, my experience was, was exactly the opposite because I never did anything athletic when I was growing up and I just, uh, just studied philosophy. And now, as I'm sort of beginning to see the value of athletic, I can attest to the, the value of that, that idea. So I definitely think there's something to it, because there are a lot of philosophers that were really, really <laughs> useless, like physically. Uh, if you think about, like, Immanuel Kantown, and he never had a uh, romantic relationship with a woman, and he never did anything different at all because he just did the same exact thing every day. They said he was like so, so methodical, and he actually, all the people in the village that he lived in would time their watches based on the time that he would walk by in the morning. Um, so you think there's people like that, or there's people like Nietzsche, who really was pretty sickly, uh, though that he was sickly and frail, that there's a lot of resentment in his philosophy. So on the one hand, I think you could make an argument that, yeah, maybe, uh, maybe being in good shape is a prerequisite, so you don't end up being the sickly person who's making a philosophy for sickly people. I found that getting to the point where I've gotten my philosophy straight and used that to sort myself out has made it very, very easy to start getting in shape as opposed to the other way around. Yeah, you because know, there's, for weakness, to have a good concept of strength, you know? And if you only ever know the one, then your perspective is going to be limited. Also, there might be, like, something about, like, if you if you are philosophizing before, you, before probably 30, you might not have achieved enough to, uh, like, if you made it to 30, especially probably back then, you might hear that you might have killed a person, you might have uh, raised a family already, you might have been a pillar of your community. Uh, whereas now, if you're, if you start, if you start with philosophy, it might feel a lot. When I was uh, 
before I actually went out in the world and tried things. And then when I went out in the world and tried things, like, man, half those things, you find out quickly that they either don't work, uh, they're just like, like, it didn't need to be written down. It's, you know? Yeah, I mean, yeah that makes sense. Uh, I mean, I think there's a certain amount of, of in physical activity, what you're doing is a sort of pragmatic philosophizing. I mean, you have to figure out there's a lot of introspection that goes on. Almost, it's it's almost a false dichotomy that what what you're doing, you know, it, when when you're pushing yourself past the limits of of your body's potential, you're contemplating serious questions. You're contemplating, you know, why is this important? You're contemplating what's the meaning of life and what various issues that uh, you, you could call philosophical issues, I guess. Um, and and maybe if you're if you're not exposed to that in the the physical realm, if you're if you're not forced to confront those in the physical realm, and you're just sort of doing it in this detached um, uh, intellectual way, then you can kind of uh, you can. It's too easy to to come up with what you might like for different reasons than because they're true. You might find that actually uh, you landed on some answer that. Maybe it's because of something cowardly within you, um, rather than you know that this is just the the truth. So, um, Here, yeah, that's, that's what I feel so, like at least. So, like you brought up Kant earlier, um, Garrett. So, isn't his philosophy basically like perfect idealism? And, like yeah, called? I know. Uh, I'm not right. super super into Kant because basically, uh, I I'm pretty big on the whole. Um, you can know the tree by its fruit and basically everything that came out of Kant was bad, you know? So not, he's got some kind of variation on Plato's forms where the, the thing in itself is, I don't know. Yeah, so, so basically his philosophy kind of reflected his way of life because he's all stuck in the mind. He's pure, he thinks everything are these ideas. So, so he doesn't really life he, he kind of did live out his philosophy which is i guess in a way that's that's good he at least he tried to live out his philosophy and a lot of people they have this philosophy but they just never live it out and that's kind of like one of the main problems of not doing the physical work before you get into the philosophy and, and then the people who do do the physical work and first they have that physical foundation first and then they then they talk about their own life philosophy you feel like there's a much deeper truth in there especially if you also had that foundation yourself like definitely for the for a while now i'm trying to articulate what's the deep truth in the messages of jocko and goggins and i feel like most some people get it but a lot of people who i talk to they don't really get it they're like oh yeah a lot of people have done this uh tough thing where they they went through the, this pain but they kind of missed the point where there's there's like a underlying structure to their way of thinking that's at almost like a transcendent level and also like a more nuanced level that they're missing. I mean, the problem is that the, the, the rational mind or the, the intellectual mind, the, you know, the part that is more detached from the physical world is way too easily persuaded and uh, misled in certain directions. And so, even point, you know, where the rubber meets the road, whatever that expression is, right? It, it has to come down to earth at a certain point to be tested. I mean, that's sort of the, the philosophy of science is, 
is that you have to empirically test it. You have to subject it to, to um, that you can know. And, and so if you're testing your body in that way, you're also testing your mind. You know, when you're, if you're running a marathon or if you're, if you're pushing yourself past the limits of, of what you thought you could do physically, that is sort of in a way that you can't really be sure of um, just intellectually. You, you can't really know if, if that's, if it's, it's not a matter of whether it's true or false, but it's a matter of um, whether, whether it's been tested or not, you know, uh, just as you have the distinction between pseudo uh, science and, and, and science, you have a distinction between, well, there's an idea that you just came up with in your head and then, all right, now you, you can put this in practice. You can test out um, how it makes your, uh, your body able to, to get through so, something. So that's why I, I like both startups and also like jujitsu and MMA, which is both of those things are you're testing your ideas. It's interesting. So I'll, I'll relate uh, an experience that I had that is, this, it'll probably explain where I'm coming to uh, as far as this topic goes, right? And you know, I was reading like abstract analytical stuff in like, you know, 13, 14. And so around the same time I started doing cross country and I was running like 80 miles a week by the, the peak of it. My mindset was probably awesome all the time because of how good of shape I was in and all of that, right? But philosophically, I wasn't in a good spot. You know, I didn't, uh, I, there were errors in the, that caused a fairly long process of like disintegration where I had to question everything and it took a very long time for me to kind of make a coherent philosophy again and went to get back to where I was originally, but now with a coherent philosophy. So I think that's kind of a double-edged sword. I think on the one hand, you can be you can be put at a disadvantage because you can be in perfect shape and you know working you're you know getting your uh, workout euphoria and because of that you're missing subtle inconsistencies you know uh, if you like a good example uh, we talked I, I had a thread about uh, Marcus Aurelius son uh, Commodus right uh, he was a real piece of shit but he was trained by, uh, you know, his father was a great philosopher. He was in great shape. He was like a gladiator and doing all this stuff. So this hedonistic life where he was violent and abusive and all of that. So I think there's, I, I think part of the problem probably comes from Kant because Kant's whole philosophy is very, very mind focused. There's no body aspect to it. There's, it's all idealistic. It's all in the mind and active book in the history of philosophy. That's the, uh, that's the basis of all Western academia as we know it. And I think that the mind-body dichotomy has sprung, if not just from there, it may have gone further back, probably because of Kant. And that's kind of where we're having the issue. So you have people that get physically fit and they're not necessarily great philosophers. And you have these academics that are in terrible shape and they're making... Um, proclamations about what other nonsense you know so that's one of the things i've tried to tackle is how do we get back how do we bridge right. the my body dichotomy because that's yeah like uh, somebody else on twitter tweeted out this one thing uh that basically said like plato said you, you need both like the, the 
kind of like the young man needs to do both the philosophy and the the uh, the training. And and also I see there's a difference between wrestling. Wrestling, you really have to test out whatever you think would work uh, on your opponent, or else the other person is just gonna bring you down or like submit you or whatever. But in running, you can just say, you know what, I'm one of the fastest people. I can just make things here. I'm good. You you don't get put on your ass. When your ideas for, for clarification, that was also yeah. at the time. Yeah, right. Well, I'm not. I'm not talking about you specifically, but like, just like, I, I think there's a huge difference between um, just like something that's purely individual and something where you have to confront another human being. And and also like, even a lot of people who do jujitsu, wrestling, whatever, boxing, they still don't necessarily get it because that's just the foundation. It's not like what will give you everything. So that's why you do need the philosophy part later. It's a, a saying that I, I love this saying. It's like, you know, the body follows the mind and the mind follows mm. the body. Uh, and when you are building the base, you're building your body up, it's giving an opportunity for the mind to be applied that over with habits over a long period of time. And those habits are sustainable uh, and they keep you at the level that when you or eight, that when you should, quote unquote, by the philosophers, uh, so it stay with you, but it will resonate with you. And when as soon as, and as soon as you're, it's able to resonate with you, then now you're now you're a formidable force because this the body that you've been building is, and then the mind that you built on top of that is able to like parse out future potentialities. And really come to terms with uh, building what the, what the future you want to build. Something I think. I mean, in a way, it's it really is a false dichotomy, though, because I mean, one of the things which happens when you train your body and when you test yourself, and especially, I think it's a, it's not just the training of the body. It's it is the the testing. For, part of that is really important. The difference between, let's say, wrestling, where you, you can't fool yourself with that, right? Running, maybe you say, well, I, I know I could run another two miles, but I'll just stop here because, right? But, but wrestling, you know, you can't, you can't external test. Um, but what happens when you subject yourself to those kinds of tests is that your mind is actually changed and the physiology of your brain is changed because you know that you can you're more than what you were before. You, you know that uh, you're capable of something that you didn't know you were capable of. Because, I mean, serotonin and all these things. I mean, there's something physiologically going on and there's something mentally that's going on is that you feel like you can, um, that you are worth something more and that you can take on bigger challenges and that maybe your life has more of an impact than you, than you did. And I mean, if you look at where we are in, let's say U.S. culture uh, or Western culture right now, we have incredible resources, resources um, and yet this sort of testing of ourselves, because we're so, uh, because we have so much, we, we're not testing ourselves in that, that regular way, like let's say maybe people in And despite all these, you know, despite the abundance of food and wealth, the, the you know depression, uh, mental disorders, all these sort of things are are much higher than they've ever been, and I think probably a, um, an element of that, at least, I don't know how how much of it. You know, we we don't 
have any chance to prove to ourselves that we're worth something. And so, well, of course you'll be depressed if you don't know that you're worth something because what's see, the point so that's one of the things uh, that seems to be part of the issue is it's so part, uh, I guess in the fact we have this age of abundance and we have this age of relative ease of life, right? Not happening. You're not going to go fight your neighbors over property rights. You know, uh, you're not going to go plow a field for, you know, 12 hours a day, six days a week. So what one of the things that presents is that the, the stress that humans require to be imposed on them, the physical stress, that's part of the issue. So historically, religions have been very much about like the avoidance or the answer for suffering, right? But now we're in an age where most of the real external suffering is gone. We have to, you're going to go run in, like he was talking about last week, go run in the snow uh, shirtless, or you're going to go uh, weight lift, you know, just impose stress, tear your muscles apart, or you're going to go run, you know, engage the anaerobic response, whatever. So is why, why are we going to do this to ourselves? Because it's not just enough to go get in shape. There are people, you know, I mean, I don't care how good of a shape you're in. If your life is meaningless, your life is meaningless. You know, you need something deeper than just just being in good shape. You know, we need, and that's the external source of meaning. So we need a reason internally for us to convince ourselves to go punish ourselves yeah. until we're better, basically. You yeah. Know? So I guess first I'll address uh, Zach and Alan's points, and then I'll address your point. So, so first. There's this one analogy I, I like to use recently, and it's almost like the loses uh, the metaphor of the mushroom. And so, so like the fungus has the mushroom, but also has these uh, things called threads called hyphae. So it sends all these different threads in all these different directions everywhere. So that's basically what the mind is. We're, we're sending out these threads to explore all these different things. It's, it's almost like, and you're just like growing in all these directions with these uh, fungal hyphae as your thoughts. And, but then what, what, what these thoughts are doing is they're eventually connecting back to your body and they're growing something. And, and that's growing the mushroom that sprouts up. So, so in a way, it's your thoughts that's kind of nourishing your body. And it's all very interconnected. But like the body is also connected to your, your thoughts. So, so it's all connected. And so that's, I guess, the first point. And then the second point regarding the meaning, there's another quote that has to do with age that I was going to bring up, which is uh, George Orwell said, at age 50, everyone deserves the face that you play, though the age 30 or 50, they're kind of fairly arbitrary numbers. They're just kind of like an estimate of like what you should be. It's not a, can you repeat the Orwell quote? I didn't catch it. At age 50, everyone deserves the face that he has. Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 So, so these ages, it's not like a literal number. It's more like you should be around there at that stage right. of your life. Well, yeah. So, I mean, I see where Plato's coming from. And I think there's definitely something to that. But I guess, so one of the things that I, uh, I just started moving towards this since the, the first year of Master Self is done, my website, um, I'm going to address the mind and the body. So I think everyone should fast. I think that's something that everyone in their lifetime should fast. I think short-term fasting is good and should be a regular component of your life, right? Um, I think our 
our approach to diet in, in culture is so fucking flawed. And a lot of it's based on really shit science. And a lot of it's based on like the last 10,000 years of human life, very biology involved in like the gut. Um, but on the other hand, so I guess kind of what I, I, I'm trying to get at is we need to figure out how to make an integrated system where it's not just, oh, you're going to go to the gym and you're going to learn. And it's not just you're integrating two, you know? So what if, I don't know, I just don't know how we would get there, but it seems like that's necessary. You know, if you can teach people fitness at the same time as teaching them yeah. mental if you can incorporate philosophy into your workouts and incorporate workouts into your philosophy, you're going yeah. to be sad. I, I think know? a lot of jujitsu teachers do that. And also Jocko and Goggins also mm -hmm. do that. Yeah. And I was going to ask Zach, uh, talk, talk about your visit to TriStar as well as yeah, your yeah. recent fasting. <laughs> so uh, recent, uh, I, I did do the TriStar and I was training there and I got to Zahari. Frost Sahabi. That's yeah. anyways. Um, he's he's brilliant. Like when he when he speaks, I you you just literally cannot download enough information fast to you, and you can only pick up a handful of it, and then uh, like he just he just doesn't care. He just keeps yeah. throwing you everything you need to be amazing at jujitsu, and like he's like twenty years of experience in one sentence. And I, I've, I've trained in different gyms around the world too. And uh, his was by, by far like very cerebral and very like on point. And when I was using those techniques, it just took my game to another level. So uh, I kind of do this thing where for me, I take spiritual pilgrimages and uh, I, and I, I take it. So when I go to TriStar, I know I'm going to be facing some of the top talent in jujitsu, period. Like they are, there are some monsters there. And I, and if you don't, if you don't encounter these monsters, you, and I, I was thinking that was pretty good because, you know, I was traveling around, going to a different gym here and there. Uh, I would, I'd face some of the big boys and just put them down and it's like, whatever. But then I face like Nicole that I can't do anything about it. <laughs> And it, it's it's just you need you need to have that humbling experience and to know that uh, that not only is there a bigger thing and that and that fish like a smart fish is is, is just as dangerous as a big fish. So uh, that that was that was really interesting to uh, to go through that experience too. And then on the uh, on the back of that, I did a recently I did a fast. I totally I by the way, Garrett, I read your forty day fast water fasting. So I was like, okay, after I read that, I, I read all of all your articles on those things. So I was like, okay, I can do days because I've, I've done three days fast before. I was like, all right, I'm going to try to do a seven-day fast. And as I was doing the fast, it was, it was going out. It was going great. It was going amazing. Uh, except uh, I didn't drink salt water. Like, I drink the salt water. <laughs> and I definitely did everything that you're probably not supposed to do when you're like fasting too. Cause I was working out, I worked out very heavily on day three. Uh, I did four and, uh, I, on, on day five, I started, uh, hooking up with some girls on Tinder. <laughs> so <laughs> like, like on, uh, on day six, there was no, <laughs> Did you wake up with like your mouth open and it's dry and everything tastes bad? And, I, yeah, I woke up 
like I felt like shit. I felt like dog shit. I couldn't. I I I I, I didn't want to be awake. Like I just wanted to sleep behind. I fell asleep. We would wake up. I was like, I'm just gonna lay down and fall asleep. And I was. I realized because I remember I started remembering. Uh, I was like, "What did I do wrong? Like, did I? Because I, cause, you know, after three days of fasting, like, oh man, it was just a combination of just staying out late and hooking up with people and fucking. That was I. I've never yeah. felt that bad. So, <laughs> so, you so. get you get where like uh, basically uh, like day two to three, your body starts dumping water hard. Right, this is where people lose a lot of water weight. That'll that'll take some water weight off you. Um, the the issue that you run into is your um, ketosis starts around day three and starts ramping to day five. By day seven, you're, there's no glucose or anything left in your body, and because it's the the glucose and the glycogen metabolism, something about that requires uh, your body to or it. It leads your body to retain more water. Like also, you get a lot of water from food too. So by day three or four, there's no food left in your body. So the extra water that you have is gone, and it's so easy. That's uh, the reason when I did my second fast, which was hence uh, yard work. We were fucking chopping roots and stuff, and I could not get hydrated after that. It was five days that I just could not get enough water in my body. I wouldn't retain it because I lost too much salt. Um, so it's super dry. There's, it's like zero humidity. And, um, so that's uh, a good segue though. The one, the thing that when I went, you know, uh, I had that like late teenage disintegrate had no frame of reference for how the world worked. The, the point where things started to turn around, I did the 40 day fast. And I remember it was like 20 days, the day 21, that I was into the fast and I woke up and I was like, you know, like after, uh, it's like day 10, you start getting really, really high. Um, and that peaks, it's, it peaked around like 20 days. And that was the point, I guess, when I realized that you can't just like, even though I had most way out of the physical, you know? So that's, I guess, that's why I would recommend the fasting is because if you do a long fast, you've never, ever, there's nothing you can do that makes you feel that good. Like drugs, nothing. That is the best you will ever feel. You're made out of fucking air, you know? Wait, did, didn't Jesus fast for 40 yeah, days 40 in the desert? Days. I'm going to so, so that's, why that's my goal. Okay, okay. you got to beat Jesus, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, so that's why he was able to walk on water because after yeah, 40 days of fasting, he felt like he was so there. So on, that's a, why he's uh, on an interesting thing, uh, <laughs> side note, uh, 40 days and 40 nights does not actually mean 40 days and 40 nights in the biblical context. It's more of like, yeah. it doesn't actually mean 10,000 years. It's just like a really, really long yeah. time. <laughs> well, so with the fasting thing, so I, I guess I'm the only one here that's, that's, that hasn't done an extended fast then. Um, because I think the most I've done is about three or four days. When I, when I, I suppose when I'm in the right mood or something, I'll, I'll, I'll try that out. But um, what, one of the things which I experienced, which I'm sure all of, all of you experienced, is that there are people who will, will tell you, you know, if you tell them that you're, you're fasting, you know, even for, you know, like, what, you need to eat? That's, that's insane, you know, we need to eat three meals a day, right? And um, so to so sort of bring it back to the, uh, you know, testing yourself physically, 
um, one of the things which uh, does is it actually rewrites your beliefs about what is normal, what is possible, what is within the realm of sort of reasonable potential. And um, I mean, uh, Hugh, I would, I would be one of your posts in which you you ran, I don't know, like 10 miles in, in freezing weather. And I, I don't remember the details, but, um, but it seems like this is sort of the part of the core of, let's say, Goggins' philosophy and, and Jocko's philosophy is the idea that you, you, your, your beliefs about what is possible, what is normal, are actually wrong. And if you subject yourself to these kinds of stresses, you will actually realize what it, it, you're doing philosophy. You're, you're, you're discovering some potential than you thought you did. Um, I don't know. If, if Q, you want to say something about that? Yeah. So, so Goggins calls this a cookie jar. Whenever you do something difficult, you can put in your cookie jar. And, and what I actually said after that is like, it's more like a mushroom jar because you're growing the mushroom inside the jar. Like you're not making it out of like some artificial through yourself. So it's your mushroom jar and it can feel you, you kind of just like be the fuel for everything you do. And when I ran that, uh, 11, 11 miles and also did a uh, 500 pushups, uh, shirtless while it was snowing at, at the hardest point. It, like to me, I felt like I was not even close to my 100% yet. But like I, I had to get back because you know I had a call. I had to do a call like early the next morning, and I also had to make sure I had to be flying for work like next the following week. So I didn't really put, and also I had no support staff, so I didn't really want to push it as hard as Goggins did. But like after that, really even before that 11 miles, like probably scramping, I was thinking shit, I I could barely walk. But I know that like I can still go on for a little bit more without really without getting permanently injured or, or like even getting sick. So basically I pushed to the point of eleven miles where I said, okay, if I go any further than that, I'll probably be sick for a couple of days. But if I stop now, I think I'll be good in like two days. And it it seems like that was true. So really better and you get to know how your own body and mind functions a lot. That, that's it, exactly. It's the we're really bad at judging our, our potential, what our limits are. You know, unless you test yourself, you, have, you really don't know. You know, if you're always consequences of giving up more and, and, and thereby risking more, you know, if you, if you go 100%, you're risking a lot. Um, but the, the thing is, if you're only, if you cap it at 15 or 40, whatever, uh, you really, really, there's a lot more that you didn't know about. And, and it's only by sort of pushing yourself to the limits that you realize, I thought this was the limit, but actually I can do twice as much or maybe three times as much. And, and you don't know that until, yeah. until so, you put So this actually relates position. back to this, uh, this one excerpt from the, the poem, If by Rudyard Kaplan, I tweeted out uh, recently. So, so, the, so the quote is, if you can make a heap of all your win-lose and start it again at your beginnings, and never breathe a word about your loss. So, so basically, he, the whole poem, he basically says, if you can do this, you can do that. And then at the end of it, he ends it with, if you can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distant run, yours is the earth and everything that's in it. And which is more, you'll be a man, my son. 
That's man, that is the best poem anyone's ever written. And then like slightly below that is uh, Invicta, in, uh, Invictus by um, William Ernest Henley, I believe. Um, which yeah. if yeah, you, uh, I would recommend looking that one up. I just, uh, Socrates quote that I just uh, remembered when you were saying that, uh, he said, no man has the right to be an amateur in the matter of physical training. It is shame for a man to grow old without seeing the beauty and strength from Plato's teacher is Socrates. Yeah. So there's definitely, that's, I think one thing that uh, Greece and Rome had that we don't is the extreme, uh, extreme focus on physical fitness. Like if you think about people were, people were walking around with togas and big fat fuckers and shit, you know, like, <laughs> It'd be nasty, but back in the day, everyone was jacked. They all looked like statues. That was their aesthetic. Like they prized the the human form above all else. Sculptures of just jacked dudes, beautiful women. Nowadays, goddamn, dude, they like our culture doesn't doesn't like the human form very much. People are retouched in Photoshop. We have just like physically unhealthy people that are a bit in an article that should be out before this episode comes out um, that we're just, we're just not like when, uh, what's, what did I say the rule is? So basically I'm try, I, I tried to define a concept of like is, okay, you're in agreement with reality, right? You can't fly, so you don't think you can fly. But social sanity over time, cultures degrade, social sanity moves away from objective sanity, and when actually insane, and social sanity becomes objectively insane. So if you get to a culture where we, like the fat acceptance movement, for, for example, is objectively insane, like no, an argument that it is healthy and it should be accepted, but that's becoming socially acceptable, and it's now becoming unacceptable to say a sane statement of you're not healthy, we can't, yeah. we can't encourage this behavior, right? So it's interesting right. at least how they're impacted by that. Yeah, so this actually ties back into the original topic. So I want to bring up Mike Tyson. Has everyone uh, listened to his podcast as Joe Rogan? Yeah, so, so probably a lot of people think he's insane, but at the same time, he basically followed the path, became a world champion in boxing. And then he did the DMT and all that stuff, and he, he figured out his life philosophy. And like one of the things he said, I, I don't remember which year, but he said like, if everyone has a plan if you, until they get punched in the mouth, which is the exact same thing as oh, basically what Plato said in a different form, because everyone has that philosophy that hasn't been tested until it's been tested through this like uh, physical manifestation. Yeah, I definitely think there's something to that, too. That's one of the things, um, that's kind of what I see Ion Media as, is, you know, hey, I'm getting, instead of, I'm not just going to go professors and shit, like, I want to take the, all the, like, everything that Ion Media does is all built on a lot of really abstract shit, but I'm going to take that and manifest it because it's useful. It's practical stuff. It's not just, this yeah. is, like, I work in a factory. This is stuff that's helped me get from you know where i was making uh like ten dollars an hour and stuff to now i'm making good money this philosophy has got me connections with yeah we're producing stuff that's educational it can actually improve your life it's not just like neo-marxist nihilist bullshit you know that's that's it needs to be embodied it needs to be and that, to use uh, jason snyder's favorite word it needs yeah. to be embodied 
It needs to be manifest. So I, I want to play a little bit of devil's advocate, or I mean, maybe maybe it's not uh, so much a disagreement, but um, the the other side of the coin is uh, there's a there's a great poem by Charles Baudelaire called The Albatross, which is it, it's sailors at sea, and for amusement they they capture the albatross and and pin its wings so that it sort of struts very awkwardly on the deck. And the idea is that the albatross has this incredible wingspan. They've got these incredible wings, endured by those wings. Um, it, it, you know, it walks in an ungainly fashion across the deck because, and it's, the sailors find this hilarious, or is that sailor humor? Um, but there's an idea there, which is, and then that's, that the poet, or I suppose you could broaden that to the artist, is someone that sort of lives in the clouds, but by doing so, they are, the very thing which allows them to live at that level makes sort of living in the real world, living down on earth. There's, some, there's an idea there which, I mean, yes, there's the, there's the, the testing, physical testing of, of your ideas, but at the same time, there seems to me that there are people who, I mean, you know, really brilliant mathematicians who, who can't, can't get, I'm not going to be the one who says, well, you should be doing that. You should be getting those, those mundane aspects of your life together because maybe it's saying, you know, maybe it's, it's, it's the same thing. It's not, it's not a, um, it's not a, a battle necessary. It's, it's sort of a, what would you call it? It's an exchange of, all right, you're living in such an abstract realm that you instantiated stuff. I don't know, what, what, what do you all think of that? So I would argue that over time, I'll go to you after Q. Um, I can't raise my hand, so. Um, as it seems that basically uh, when a culture begins, it's usually coherent, it usually has a set, uh, like integrated the, the melting pot thing going on things worked out considerably fairly well if you considered like multicultural exchanges throughout history it worked pretty good uh but over time it seems like you it's a double-edged sword you um a better example you didn't need everyone everywhere farming all the time and that's what led to technological advancements so you had people that would farm and you had people that would think and the more time you had people uh people that would think that is um you get the 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 further those people get into their thoughts the more divorced they get from reality so you can have someone who's going out on a tangent and doing something really useful but you also have people that are going out on so if like, for example, like Karl Marx never had a job, right? <laughs> so he can talk all he wants to about the plight of the working man, but you're not a working man. And you can talk a lot about the business. You just, literally some, some rich person paid you to sit around and think, and your thoughts were not tethered to any kind of reality. You didn't have to put them into practice. So it seems like, it seems like it works, it, it works both ways. You get people like, say there's a brilliant mathematician who can't take care of himself. We benefit from a pretty specific skill set that a lot of people aren't good at. With, like, I'm, I, I'm good at all kinds of shit. I can't do math to save my life. You know, I can do basic like algebra and that's it. So that's the uh, coding. Coding is a good example of that too. Like a lot of people that are really good at the autism spectrum of skills 
where you have no social skills, you can't do other stuff, but you can code the fuck out of things, or you can do really complex logarithms in that. So I guess that I, I guess where I'm getting is that we need to have it where you call them that or the non-physical sex of people stay in their realm and they're not going to start inf uh, impinging on things that they have no business doing. So I get you could, I mean, theoretically, I don't know. One of the things I've played with as a, a, a concept that can of, um, I get different levels of citizenship or something where you had to fulfill certain requirements to attain them. Like, okay, well, if you're not in good physical shape and you don't have your life in order, right, uh, be a slave. <laughs> but see, I'm, I'm, I'm very, I'm very suspicious of this. Uh, I mean, this idea that you know you have to take your own medicine in order to to prescribe it to others. Um, in my experience, there there is this sort of um, there is this, this pattern of people who have struggled with something because they're bad at it, because they're the ones who, who have the deepest and most profound insight about it. That, you know, a, a lot of the people who are, let's say, who on first glance you, you say are very well put together and very um, uh, confident, let's say, whereas kids, you know, um, th th there seems to be this tendency that you know, uh, or I mean, I think of uh, someone like Jordan Peterson, who's out there preaching, um, sort of putting your life together and, and uh, getting a reason for living to everybody. And, you know, he's clearly uh, severely depressed a lot of the time and, and, uh, and uh, you know, perfectly healthy state of mind all the time. Um, but that's sort of not the point. The point is not to, to always look at the person who's providing you with um, with the advice or with the, the insight, it's, it's to take the insight as is. Now, it may be that, you know, that this is a, a use suspicious of saying that we should relegate the position of, of, you know, good advice givers to only the people who are specifically uh, expert yeah, in that, no, in that it, field. It doesn't but, leave room for generalists. So I definitely, I, I'm definitely very aware of this problem. And it's, it's something that, so fuck man, it's, it's tricky. So we still, we say, well, this is who should make decisions and that doesn't last. So I think rigid systems seem to fail. I think we need a more right. fluid. So, so, so I would actually you, say there, there is no contradiction here because, uh, I guess since you brought up Jordan Peterson, one of the things he, he said is like the artist is someone who's basically going into the chaos and then bringing that value back to order. And and let, let me try to extend my um my uh, fungus analogy a bit more. So I, I think I like I was just meditating there one day. I was like, holy shit, everything is just a fungus. Like at every single level of the fractals, everything is a fungus. So so what happens is like. The, you know, like the outcasts, the extreme insider, extreme outsiders who, who are only good at one thing or dysfunctional in some other ways, they're the ones who are at the tip of the high to explore all these new different possibilities. And then what they do is they kind of like suck up the nutrients and then and transport that back to the main body of the mushroom. But the thing is, like, they're also the ones most exposed and most at risk because, like, any time that one that one hyphae, it could just be like one one cell kind of like in, like in, in thickness. It could be just be like one or two cells, right? 
it can easily just be chopped off somewhere in the middle and like that, that thread at the very tip, it dies. But then the main body of the mushroom still survives. It's like the people who are exploring at the very edge, at the cutting edge, they're also at the most risk. So, so it's just something that we have to accept. So it's, it's just like the, uh, the albatross with the wing, wings clipped off. But before its wings got clipped off, it still has to say that I'm at the very edge. I, I'm gonna soar higher than everyone else. And once it gets its wings clipped off, it still has to kind of accept its life and say, well, good. Now let me try to find a way to live my life to a full and squeeze my wings. With like a, an electoral college. So uh, in general, like the popular, popular opinions can't, uh, even if they're misguided or technically like checked in the balance by uh, the kind of, that prevent primate cities and cities in general that are usually more left-leaning to have complete political uh, control over a country, considering that, you know, there's like, that then they would definitely not have as, as big of a say as uh, LA or New York, if they have a say at all. Well, so Wyoming, I mean, doesn't I think that's Wyoming doesn't exist. It's a government conspiracy. <laughs> 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 so that's that's I think the thing that's one of the things that I've been trying to play with recently more recently is basically if you look at um, historically we could basically naturally rising power hierarchies right because there were a bunch of societies that were fairly separate and they could compete they would destroy each other we'd get the winners however I think we're moving into a time where because of the extreme interconnectedness, actually leaving things up to chance, we have to get to this place where we can consciously apply what we've observed from the past and devise a system that isn't necessarily left to randomness. And because uh, otherwise, uh, if America or like imagine some of the bigger countries in the European Union, like tanked or disappeared, that would completely unsettle everything because of how interconnected China. Imagine if China all of a sudden just put a trade embargo on everyone. You know, that would destroy the country in a month. Uh, so is that we have, to, we have to devise a way to select for, okay, well, this guy is really out there and he has most of his life is in shambles, but he's on to something. And then there's some people that are doing the same thing. They're, they're, it's crap. We have to develop kind of like a meta rational faculty that can decide and structure society somehow around that, I guess. I don't, that's very vague. I said, this yeah. is a fairly new idea. Wait, that are, are you familiar with so uh, Robert Kagan's uh, stages of cognitive development? I'm pretty sure I am, but I also, if I remember, if that's who I'm thinking of, I have some issues because he's by he's philosophically biased about what this stage no, is. No, there's like only five. Six there's and seven five. or seven and eight, yes. I think, were five and six. So, so five, right. oh, so basically, Four, four is systematic, and then five is metasystematic. Well, that makes sense. But that's where we're, this is the age of meta. Everything's meta. Everything, you know, meta consciousness, uh, memetics. Memetics is a meta system, you know? Everything is, that's where we're at, though. That's at a place where everything is on the meta level. We have to figure out not just how to deal with people, but we need to apply knowledge of how people work to how we deal with people. We can't just do, uh, it's nothing straightforward. So, so 
it seems like everything um, has become more you know, complex. Cue you to know? take your um, uh, fungal analogy. Uh, it seems like one of the key issues that we're we're trying to deal with right now is the relationship between sort of individuals versus groups, right? Because in your analogy, the sort of the organism is kind of the nucleus of the of the of the fung fungal organism, and then the little you know cilia that it extends. Um, and I think that there seems to be a difference between, let's say, I mean, this is this is a this is an issue that I struggle with personally is on the one hand, you, you can have this perspective of trying to be, let's say a complete individual, a sort of, let's say the Greek philosopher something that they would have appreciated where it's mind and body. It's you're subjecting yourself to physical stress and philosophical stress. Um, and then on the other hand, the culture, uh, the, the species seems to be getting more and more, um, what, what's the word? Um, we're, we're, we're splitting up the, the tasks, you know, where we're getting very, sorry. Yeah. Fragmentation and set of skills, which in combination with everybody else works very well. So, I mean, right. If you're, if you're the albatross, you need someone to kind of, you know, if, if you're the mathematician who can't tie your shoes, you around you that, that can help your the mundane aspects of your life work together, and and so it seems that there is the, there's an essential um, part of let's say that those those exploratory yeah. uh, what do you call them hyphae um, uh, reaching out that it be purely individual. So I'm I'm not sure which if it's really a, I don't know if it's a question of right or wrong necessarily, but. Maybe it's a balance between, you know, trying to become a complete person and trying to become a, a cog, you know, which specializes in one area, which in combination with other, just, just an individual could. So that's something that I've been playing with too. Uh, I have an article, No Separation, Free Will and the Expanded Self, where basically uh, I will refer like uh, Randy and individualism and independent of society and rebels and is its own force and can't be constrained, all that kind of stuff, uh, to more of what I call, uh, I, it's, a, it's a newer form of individualism, because I am with the, the older approach, and it was necessary at the time, but it doesn't really hold up now, because there is this extreme interconnectedness, right? And that's one of the things that I think, well, huge focus on, yes, Indra's net, exactly. Um, I wish I had an article about that, too. but. Um, Basically, so the idea of Indra's net uh, in it, uh, Hinduism, there's God Indra, who's basically Thor um, or Zeus. He lives on, yeah, we're going to call it in like 10. Um, that it's the Axis Mundi. It's the center of the world. He lives on top of this mountain of this palace, and above his palace, he hangs up his net. Now, the net at every vertex of the net, where all the string, other jewel in the net is reflected, right? So even though the jewel is an individual it has everything else in it and every other thing has the individual in it too so i think that's part of it uh we, what we're really dealing surpassed by arguing about them they're surpassed by changing your perspective so the individual isn't just this separate thing and it shouldn't just be a part of uh considered 
unfettered individualism seems to be fairly limited as well, but it is, uh, I think, preferable of the two. We need an individualism where you understand that, yes, I'm separate, but I'm also part of the whole. And it tells us, how do I fit in? How do I relate to everything? Because religion's gone. And we have all these other attempts to fill religion's whole, which is, you know, collectivism. So I'm going to, uh, it's for the state, for the people to a larger force. You have um, hedonism where you ignore it. We need something that places us in a context where we can be free to be individuals and still yeah. have some So let me try to articulate this clearly. This is a complex idea I'm trying to articulate. So, so first, we have the interest net where everyone's basically a, a node on the network mm -hmm. that reflects all the other nodes. So it's a fractal seed. It's a seed of fractal. And what is that? That's your DNA. That's your genes, which is shared with, like, I don't know what's the exact percentage, but it's like over 99% in common with everyone else. So that's a fractal seed you start with, but then you also have like a degree of error for evolution. But it's, it's like nine, over 99% the same. So that's your fractal seed. And when you're reflecting off of everyone else in that same uh, network, uh, which is the individual inflecting, what happens is it's basically a network of inter-individual mimetic desire, where you're copying the desire of people surrounding you in a cluster in the whole interest network. And, and that's what makes up all of humanity. And it, it always goes back to the genetic fractal seed. Yeah. Well, so, and that goes back to the fungus too. Yeah, the fungi, fungi are yeah. fractals as well. It's, it's sort of the idea. What's the expression? You know, you're you're the what's it? You're the sum of your right. five closest yeah. friends or something. Yeah, it's that you're you're constantly reflecting the the, the network around you. Um, I mean, I, I in, in my 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 view of things, it's there's sort of a balance between between this kind of Fragmentist, that seems to be the concept that everyone's struggling with these days, the idea of identity, uh, that there's this fragmented identity in which you're um, reflecting things. And then something which is more, I don't know, holistic, well, more of a piece, uh, which you could say is that the individualist wavered too far from that, and that we're more in the, in the, the mimetic model, that we're, 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 you know, I mean, that's what social media is, right? Is that you're, you're constantly adjusting your life to external um, stimuli instead of, I don't know, it's, does, that, does that make any sense? <laughs> yeah, that's, that I, so basically it seems like we, uh, death of God happens, religion stops, be, uh, religion as a valid external source of meaning stops working. And so we've tried, you have the, the group, you have hedonism, you have nihilism, you have whatever, you know, but all of those are false answers because what is required is an individualism where it's capable of generating internal meaning, yes. you know? So, so actually, death of God, it's, it's, not a, it's not a new thing. No, yeah. This, because this, it has happened before. Like, basically, if you look at the books of the Bible, I cannot ever pronounce the one that starts with ECC. <laughs> yes, over the death of God. And those two are already very existentialist. We're just kind of like returning back to existentialism, which was originally already in these two books. So I would say it's 
the death of God, if, if we want to get more meta, it's, it's not, the death of God is the death of the old meta order, right? So, whereas I've changed significantly over time, like Christianity is a whole, is an entirely different religion from Judaism, even though it's almost the same stuff. You know, it's just rearranged, the values are rearranged, the top levitation is totally different. So, I would say that ba that's basically where we're at. We need a restructuring or a, a top-down approach to revaluing, rearranging the pre-existing values in such a way that, and I would, I, I would argue that the way that we handle these meta-philosophies is basically uh, the way that we adapt to the times, you know? And people, when, when we make some, we elevate something to the level of religion, need to think about this you just accept it and go about your life because for most people they're going to live easier without having existential crises for years and on end right so society are entrenched in such a way that they're above question until it decays it seems to be a cyclical process can we five minute warning so everyone you get your one one more piece from everybody and then we're like the world is just one big startup essentially and, and like for, for a startup to succeed, like one of the most important things is timing. So, so basically you need to align the, the timing basically is a function of the culture and the, the technology and the economics. You just need to align everything at the right moment. And, and yeah, for every era in history. Yeah, I agree with that. So, so to, to, um, to provide maybe a different, just another mental model um, as opposed to the, the fungal one, which I do enjoy. But, um, uh, you know, Karl Popper, the mathematician and philosopher, he had this idea that realm and then world two, which is the, the realm of thoughts and, and the mind. And then there's world three, which is the, it's sort of the world of rules in, in the sense that, you know, when they discovered back in the, the 50s in chess that, it was actually possible with the best moves to check that it was actually possible if everybody played the best moves, but it might be from certain positions, you know, 50 moves um, away. Um, that, that was something that they discovered. It wasn't something that they created. It's like a kind of terrain that when we're going through ideas, when we're testing out things, it's sort of like we're, we're exploring an actual world which has uh, uh, you know, a topography to it. And there are certain paths which you're traveling through the, the, the valley and turns out you can't get out. So uh, it, what you were saying, Q, of, you know, we're sort of, we're testing things as a startup, we're, we're continuously, I think that's right. And the objective is to find that we don't want any dead ends. And I think there's a lot of, um, I mean, the, the death of God, that, that whole idea, the, the, the political ideologies and the, the philosophical ideologies that we've uh, adopted in the 20th century, we've sort of discovered that actually, yeah, maybe it was useful, maybe it was interesting, but there's sort of nothing to move forward past. And, and so that's, that's the, the objective, is to find a, a path that will keep us going. Yeah. I agree. Zach, you got any closing thoughts? For yeah, us? so <clears throat> this whole Indra's net, uh, I, I kind of feel like when, when they first came up with that concept, uh, obviously globalism wasn't 
as a parent, but now quickly that I feel like the entrance net uh, is somehow turns into a hall of mirrors where people can forget which one's the reflection. And when people forget which that as the ideal, that's what can create problems of where, where did the individual go? And uh, how do we uh, enhance the individual and, and, and give the, that purposes? Because, uh, you know, the, all of our DNA that we share together, all the interconnectedness that, uh, that this world is built out of, that I think people are looking at web of connectivity is always there. And it's, it's, it's always there that you don't need to use, use that as your next stepping next step and, and bring out what's the 10% of that DNA, uh, express your 10% of the DNA that, that's unique to you, the, the 10% of ideas that best possible ways of bringing those to light because uh, that's, what, that's, what, that's what that, the whole Andrew's net is supposed to reflect what's the best values that we can all offer each other, but this whenever it comes into play. Cool. That's, my yeah. that's a really good way to um, put it. Yeah, I think that's a good note to end on unless anyone else says anything. All right. Well, in that case, um, thank you for joining us for Ionosphere. I think I said 11 when I started this or maybe 12. Uh, you'll know before I do because it will be on top of this video. So follow everyone here uh, whose names should be added in this video when I post it. Uh, have a good